So good to have all of you here today, and we're uh, going to continue our uh, exciting journey through the Old Testament book of Judges, uh, and uh, we will be in uh, Judges um, uh, 7 today, and, um, and, uh, in, or, or 6, and we'll be working our way through another exciting story of a famous judge, and this time it is Gideon. Uh, and we, we, uh, this is part two of Gideon. We talked about Gideon last week, and, and we're going to uh, continue with the, his great story uh, today. And I'm calling it Gideon Defeats the Midianites. Last week, we ended with Gideon cleaning house. Um, before God directed Gideon on how to clean out and defeat the Midianites, uh, who were oppressing the Israelites at this time, uh, God needed Gideon to first clean out his own house meaning get rid of all the pagan altars that Gideon's father Joash had built at his house. And basically the whole town was using these altars, including probably Gideon too, uh, these altars that were built to worship uh, the false gods of Baal and Asherah. God loved it when the Israelites cried out to him for help, and they were crying, crying out to him for help because of the oppression of the Midianites. Um, but he also needed and desired for them to cry out in repentance. A lot of times they didn't do that. They just cried out for help um, and, and, what, and were not worried about the repenting of their sin. He needed for them to do that too, to turn away from their sin. Particularly, the big sin for the Israelites uh, was worshiping false gods uh, that the Canaanites worshipped. And he needed for them to just only worship him and nobody else, no, no other gods because there, the other gods didn't exist anyway. They were false gods. So God needed Gideon, who likely worshipped these false gods too, uh, to reject him and reject them and get rid of anything and everything related to them. Remember, God doesn't want to be the most powerful God among many gods. No, God wants to be the only God in our lives. And he wanted that for the Israelites. So, so Gideon destroyed the pagan altars uh, that were there. And he used the wood from the Asherah pole to build an altar to the living God. And then he offered a sacrifice to the true living God, Yahweh. Well, after Gideon cleaned his own house, God uh, was now ready to help him clean out the Midianites from the land. Uh, and that starts in Judges chapter 6, verse 33 where we see the, the enemy, the Midianites, gathering their forces. Let's look at uh, chapter 6, verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. As you can see, uh, uh, the enemy was made up of more than just the Midianites. Uh, there were also Amalekites, and it says, and many eastern and other eastern peoples. Uh, the majority of the forces probably were Midianites, but uh, there was a, a, a federation of forces uh, that had gathered, e that lived east of the Jordan, and they all hated Israel. So they were all kind of joining together, led by the Midianites, um, to oppress and, and, and wreak havoc on the Israelites. They were camped in the Valley of Jezreel, which is often called, and this is a, a picture of the real Valley of Jezreel. Uh, it's often called the battlefield of Palestine. It's also the, the breadbasket of the country as well. The, uh, as you can see, a lot of farmland in there. Um, 
And remember last week we talked about how the, the Midianites came in on purpose, camped out in, on the farmland for the purpose of destroying the crops of the Israelites. And so here they were, they're all gathered in this valley, the, the battlefield of Palestine. Many battles have been fought in this place, um, including uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago, Deborah and Barak against Sisera, uh, and then later David against the Philistines. Were, were, were fought, uh, battles were fought here. It bordered Mount Carmel uh, to the south, Mount Tab- Tabit, and Mount Gilboa to the east. Uh, and this is where the massive Midianite army was camped. Verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the uh, Abizrites Ab- uh, to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet them. The Spirit of the Lord, it says, came upon Gideon. Uh, it, it came upon means to wear. The literal interpretation of that phrase would, would mean the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Where we heard that before. It's very similar to what happens to you and me uh, at our baptism, isn't it? Uh, Galatians 3, 26, 27, uh, Paul wrote, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I love that image of putting Jesus on uh, so that when God looks at us, uh, he only sees the righteousness of Jesus, not our, our, our sin. Uh, and that's the image that we have you know, with, with Gideon and with us as Christians. You know, God is not just this distant deity that sits way up on a hill and on a throne somewhere where you can't even see him or have any contact with him. No, he literally, God literally come, becomes a part of us. He comes and lives in us, around us. Uh, he walks with us wherever we go and he's ready to guide and to strengthen us with whatever we need. And that, that's where... Uh, where Gideon was as well. Um, This was something that happened to just a select group of people in the Old Testament. Everybody didn't receive the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, uh, but but select people did, like Gideon here in Othniel, uh, the the earlier in chapter 3, you know, people like David and and, uh, those special leaders that God picked in in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God might come upon them, but but he didn't come about upon everybody. Uh, But because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and our sins are forgiven through him, now God can be and come upon everyone because there's no sin, there's no barrier of sin to keep him away. And so when we become a Christian, we put on Jesus, every single one of us who is a Christian. We can all be like Gideon and be clothed with God. Gideon was empowered with, you might say, supernatural leadership. You know, that, that was his spiritual gift, you might say. Um, he calls together his forces from the, some of the other tribes in the area, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and of course his own tribe, Manasseh. You know, I, I don't know that I really realized this, but um, uh, some of these battles weren't fought by all of Israel. You know, all 12 tribes didn't come and help. It was just surrounding tribes. Uh, some of the tribes, like the ones that are listed here. And, the, and it also included um, um, Gideon's particular clan within the Manasseh tribe, uh, Abizrites. 
And it's then that Gideon again asks God for a sign uh, that God is really going to be with him. Let's look at verse 36 through 39. Gideon said to God, uh, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me ask just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. You know, last week, we saw Gideon's first request for a sign. He was the sign guy. Uh, uh, but he left the nature of that sign up to the angel or up to God to, to just make, come up with a sign. But this time, Gideon gets specific with what he wants the sign to be. Uh, two requests, two specific requests. Uh, and they both involve the sheep's fleece uh, that uh, he had. God, if, if you're going to really be with me, if you're going to really with, be with me, when I wake up in the morning, let there be dew on the fleece, but let everything else on the ground be dry. And then after that was over with, uh, and, it came, and God came through on that sign, he, he, he still just needed one more, just one more, just one more. This time let the dew be on the ground and let the fleece be dry. And God came through with both of those signs. And these two signs were powerful because they demonstrated God's power over the weather. You know, you know he, God was able to direct exactly where the dew went or didn't go. And, uh, and only God could do something like that. God was willing to grant these two signs, and they convinced Gideon that God would be with him. We might think, I thought God, Gideon was clothed with the Spirit of God, though. I mean, why is he still needing a sign if he's clothed with the Spirit of God? Um, why does he still need signs? And a good, a good question, right? It's a good question. And I think the answer can be found in our own experience with God's Spirit. Those of us who are Christians, we've all received the Holy Spirit, haven't we? Um, uh, but do we sometimes still experience doubt? Sure we do. Sure we do. Remember, the Spirit is there to help us, right? He comes and we clothe ourselves with Him, and He comes to help us, but only if we let Him help us. God doesn't twist our arm and say, I'm going to help you no matter what. Now, you just sit back and relax because I'm helping. No, we've got to choose. We've got to yield our life and say, okay, God, I give you my life. Thank you for being a part of me, and I'm going to let you lead. You, you and I are given specific spiritual gifts. Every Christian re who receives the Holy Spirit also receives a spiritual gift. And it may be like Gideon's. It may be leadership, but it may be something else. Um, it may be some of the ones that are listed in the New, New Testament are things like administration, mercy, discernment, teaching, patience, service, even having a strong measure of faith greater than just the normal faith. 
and, and even then, whatever spiritual gift you and I receive, it's up to us to choose to use it. God's not going to force us to use our spiritual gift. We must be willing to use it. The Spirit of God had clothed Gideon, but Gideon still had to choose. Uh, it was still up to him. Um, his gift may have been leadership, but apparently Gideon's gift was not a strong measure of faith. He still struggled with trusting God to be with him. Re remember, Gideon was coming out of a religious pluralism uh, where he, like many of the other Israelites, believed that there were many gods. They believed in Yahweh, but they also kind of believed in the other Can Canaanite gods as well. And in his experience through his life up to this point, none of those gods had ever done anything for him, including Yahweh. So the question he has is, I don't, God, can I trust you? Can, I need to know you are real and you're going to be with me. And we see a, a wonderful trait of God in Gideon's story. You see, God did not punish Gideon for his lack of faith, did he? No, he understood Gideon's struggle and he was patient with him. God helped Gideon work through this journey of trusting him. Um, Jesus talked about this in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. There was a man, you might remember this story, who had a, a demon-possessed son. And he came to Jesus and said, can you please heal my son? Can you, can you help my son? And, and Jesus asked him, do you believe I can do it? And what did the man say? He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know, we people have trouble with truly believing and trusting sometimes. And, and it just happens. And God is willing to be patient with us as we work through that, as Jesus was with this man. Gideon asked for signs, and God granted them. Uh, but you know what? You and I don't need to rely on asking for signs. We don't need to get in the habit of going, okay, God, I'll do this, but, but first what I need is when I get up in the morning, I want my coffee to already be made, okay? Uh, and if, that's our, if I'm sitting there and it's ready to go, I'm there for you. We, we, need, we need to stay away from trying and, and relying on things like that. Um, you know, signs don't really have a great record of producing long-lasting faith in the Bible. If, if you look through, you see God acting in, in wonderful, miraculous ways, and people are going, whoa, God, you're so wonderful. And then the very next minute, they're, they're falling away. Uh, like Elijah. Remember Elijah and he's, as he confronted the 450 uh, prophets of Baal, and the fire from heaven came down and consumed the altar, and, and Elijah, man, he saw all that with his own eyes, and then the next moment, he was depressed and running out in the wilderness, and and uh, scared to death. Uh, the Israelites, they saw all those ten plagues come upon Egypt. And they saw the, the dividing of the Red Sea and all those wonderful things. Uh, but yet, it wasn't long before they were falling away from God. So, you know, signs don't have a great record. And we don't need to rely on signs. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 4, that a wicked generation looks for signs. Uh, there's plenty of evidence all around us. We don't need signs. All we've got to do is look at the beautiful uh, world that we live in, the ocean and the mountains and, and, uh, and the flowers and the fall and the seasons. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's just a wonderful evidences of God everywhere. We also experience the joy and the hope that we can have when we know Christ. Uh, there's, there's lots of reasons to believe and trust in God without a sign. But God does understand our struggle with faith sometimes, and he's willing to be patient with, with us as long as, as long as we're seeking and searching, seeking and searching. You know, doubt is not a game killer for us in our relationship with God, as long as we're, we don't give up. That's the key, don't give up. You know, in the same way, we need to be patient with others as they're trying to work through their faith. You know, Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. You know, it's so easy to point our fingers at people and think, why don't you just trust God? You know, like I do. You know, rather than condemning them, we need to pray for them. We need to, to share our experiences that we've had with doubt. You know, I can understand how you feel because I, I have felt that way before too. Because a strong faith is a journey. It's a journey. It's not an instantaneous accomplishment. Boom, we've got a strong faith. It's something we have to work through. Remember the series we did just a few weeks ago, the Faith Buster series, uh, Booster series uh, that we did. Uh, those five things we talked about that can help our faith grow uh, and because it, it takes that. It's a journey. So back to the looming battle. Let's see how God is developing the plan of attack against the Midianites. Verses, chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that was the name that they gave him, uh, some of the people gave him, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of the Midian was north of them, of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Mori. Sounds like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Uh, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now I can hear it, I can hear it now. Gideon, uh, God says to him, okay, all right, let's sit down, Gideon. Let's, let's, let's review what we're going to do. Here's my plan. All right. First of all, Gideon, you've got too many men. <laughs> I, I can just see the scene, right? It's like, what? what? <laughs> I, I, I've got too many men? Or, 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 I, I know I heard you wrong. I th <laughs> God, I thought you said, I have too many men. <laughs> Uh, what did you actually say? That's right. You've got too many men. Um, God was ready for that expected reaction that any of us would have had. 32,000 men, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big army, isn't it? Imagine 32,000 people out there in that field. I mean, that's, that's a big group of folks. Uh, and, and God knew exactly what was going to happen if he delivered the defeat of Midian with a, with a 32,000 man army. He knew what was going to happen. It would be very unclear to everyone who exactly made that victory possible. You know, it, it would be too tempting for Israel to think that they did it themselves, that God really wasn't much involved at all, if any. I mean, look, we got a strong army. 
We did that. See what we did? If you think you have the resources on your own to tackle a problem, you're less likely to give glory to God for helping you, aren't you? That's just the nature of mankind. Um, that's why we as wealthy Americans struggle so much to put our trust in God to help us. You know, I, I need to trust you, God, to, to help me get food, but uh, I really, I, you know, why do I need to trust you? Because I got really enough money to buy it myself. Do I really need you to help me buy food for myself? Um, why, why do I need to trust God for clothing and shelter? I mean, I got a great job. I, I can afford it. Do I really need God for that? Um, I just go get what I need. Rather than putting God at the top of my priority list, you know, we're tempted to move him down the list because while we might say, I love you, God, but you know what? I don't really need you. That's, maybe we don't say that out loud, but that's kind of the way we, we act. I don't really need you. That's why missionaries have so much more success in a third world country than they do in a first world country. Uh, people in poverty don't have material wealth to put their trust in like, like, like we do. And so they're much more likely to put their trust in God than someone in America or in Western Europe. God knew that Israel would take the credit if they defeated Midian with 32,000 men. So he told Gideon to get rid of some of them. Uh, you know, that's a, anybody who's scared, just let them go. Let's go to the men and say, all right, if anybody's afraid, go home. So uh, 22,000 men, two-thirds of the army left. That's a lot of scared men, <laughs> 22,000 people. I might have been among them. How about you? You think you would have gone home? That left just 10,000 men to face Midian. Yet 10,000 men, um, if you put 10,000 men out in that field right there, that's a lot of men. That's still, a, you know, a pretty good-sized army. God was going to give them victory, and he knew what would happen even with 10,000 men. God knew that Israel would think, wow, look at what we did. We defeated the Midianites with only 10,000 men. Aren't we so great? And this is why God assessed Gideon's forces again. Let's look at verse 4, chapter 7, verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Well, I imagine Gideon was already nervous about just having 10,000 men. I would be. But now he's, he's, he's blown away when God says, Gideon, you still got too many men. So he told Gideon an easy way to reduce the forces. And this is, this is how that went. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Uh, uh, as, as, as dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. You know, it was a simple exercise that God gave Gideon as a way to, to select who's going, who's staying, and who's going home. Who's staying and who's going home. Um, soldiers need water, right? Uh, they, uh, a soldier 
So uh, an army travels on their stomach, which also includes water, lots of water. And unlike modern soldiers today, uh, they didn't have canteens clipped to their belt, just like everybody today, all soldiers today. Uh, their source of water was not an army water buffalo, like this one here, uh, that was filled with purified drinking water for everybody to fill their canteens up with. No, their source of water was the river. The river. Now, how do you drink water from a river? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know that I've ever drank water from a river because usually, you know, they scare you to death with all the, 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 the bacteria that they say is in there. Uh, but they weren't worried about bacteria back then. How do you drink from a river? There's two basic ways that you can drink from a river. You get down on all fours uh, right at the edge. You place your mouth right in the river, and you just start drinking. Now, that's the fast way to really get a lot of water, right? Um, or the second way is you stoop down on one knee, and you, you scoop it out with your hands, or both hands, and you drink it from your hands, uh, lapping it like, like a dog, as, as the scripture says, uh, drinking it out of your hand. That was the test. Who goes, who stays? Those who drank from their knees, they were dismissed. Those who drank from their hands, they were the ones who stayed. Uh, now, what was the significance of those two methods of drinking water. Now, many have guessed. We don't really know. It doesn't say. We can guess, though. Some say that those who scooped were more alert, so they're, they're watching out for the enemy, so they're able to drink like this and look at the same time, whereas if you're on all four knees just drinking, you, you, can't, you don't know what's coming up. You're just, you're not, you're not being cautious. Uh, so, the, the ones who lapped with their hands, he chose them because they're they're more ready to fight. Others have said those who scooped with their hands, they were the, the cowards. or the, They were afraid. They were worried. Oh, no. Oh, there might be an enemy coming. Oh, I'm afraid of an attack. And those who drank directly from the river, they were the brave and courageous. Ah, I'm not worried about the enemy. I'm just going to drink because I'm thirsty. So either way, we don't know the reason why, uh, but, but God chose this as the way to select them. It may, have, it may have just been an easy way to separate the men. Uh, and the result was, what? 300 men scooped with their hands and lapped out of their hands. Verse 7 and 8, the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So all the stuff that all the, the, those who were afraid and those who got on all fours, they all just left their stuff there, including torches and trumpets and things like that. And the 300 men took all that stuff for themselves. 300 were left to face this massive Midianite army. Okay, now when, when God gives Israel the victory, even the most arrogant person could not claim, we did this. We 300 men defeated this massive army. Nobody would be able to say it was us. They'd have to give glory to God, wouldn't they? And that's what God was after. So now God was ready to lead Gideon and Israel to victory. Now, how was Gideon feeling now, you think? He's the commander. How is he feeling now? Um, how would you be feeling now? If you were tasked to lead an army against this massive army and you only had 300 men. Um, putting our faith in God when the odds are so much against us, that's not easy, is it? It's not easy. Uh, 
uh, when, when there seems to be no hope at all, you can't see the bright side of things, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, tunnel, you know, putting your hope in God to bring you through is a challenge sometimes. You know, whether it's a serious illness uh, that you're facing or a financial challenge that you're in the middle of, the loss of a loved one uh, in your life, trusting God to get you through it and somehow find this promised joy that he uh, wants to give us, you know, that can be a challenge. And many of you have faced that challenge. How could 300 men <laughs> defeat this massive army? Well, they can't do it by themselves, can they? That's impossible. And that's the whole point. But with God, with God, anything is possible. Anything. Anything. Let's continue. Verses 8 through 12. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During the night, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to take the camp. So he and Pura went his, his servant went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all of the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. That was a lot of camels. God was aware that Gideon was still nervous about this battle. Who wouldn't be? You have to be crazy to not be nervous about this. Uh, so God understood that. So God chooses to give Gideon one more sign. And this, this time, Gideon didn't ask for a sign. Gideon didn't ask for a sign. But he was sure glad to have it and was thankful that God gave it to him. Take your servant down to the camp, and you're going to hear something that's going to take care of all the doubt. So Gideon and his servant went down uh, at night to the very edge of this vast army. Thick as locusts, more camels than you can count. A lot of noise, a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of camel noise, I'm sure, down there. Uh, here's what they heard, verse 13. Gideon arrived just, just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. God gave this Midianite soldier this dream just so Gideon could hear him tell it to his friend. That's pretty cool. Now, that you can tell this Midianite soldier, he was a nervous man. Uh, they knew about how uh, Israel's God had actually done things. Powerful things. Now, all their gods, you know, they prayed to their gods all the time, and their gods never did anything. But they knew. They'd heard the stories of how Yahweh had done some things, some powerful things. And so, and being naturally suspicious, as most pagans were, um, they believed that this was a sign from God. And you know what? It was a sign from God. But not their God. It was Yahweh. And they knew about Gideon. They'd heard about him. Uh, Maybe they'd heard about how he had torn down those, those pagan altars. Now, they did not know that Gideon only had 300 men. They probably would have thought differently if they had known that. 
Uh, they assumed that there were thousands of Israelites with the power of their God who actually does things behind them. And so they were terrified. And Gideon could hear it in their voice. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So this dream removed all doubt, all doubt from Gideon's mind. And uh, what was his initial response? To worship. To worship. It wasn't, all right, let's get, let's get busy, guys. Let's go. No, it was to worship. Isn't that so appropriate when we see the power of God? You know, God's mercy and his grace through Jesus should always move us toward genuine worship. Every time we, we come to church, we need to think about what, that's why we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And, and it gives us a chance to think about what Jesus did for us and calls us to just bow down and worship. Not, not ritualistically, not check the box worship. Well, I did that. No, real from the heart worship because of what God has done to bless our lives. Okay, let's, let's finally get into this famous battle, verse 16 through 18. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in their hands, uh, in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, their weapons were pretty terrifying, weren't they? <laughs> they had a trumpet. They had an empty jar. And they had a torch. Ooh, that was scary. That was scary. You know, in the history of battles, there's no earthly commander who's ever ordered his men. All right, grab your trumpet, grab your jar, grab your torch. Let's go. Successful armies uh, are always looking for the next greatest, more powerful weapon that can annihilate their enemy. Not, not like the way with some kind of a torch. Trumpets are annoying. Yep, yep, they're annoying. Uh, jars, if you break them, they can give you a nasty cut. Torches can burn. Yeah, let's, let's give them that. They can burn. But not before an arrow or a spear or a sword reaches you, <laughs> which is what they face. Yep, these were the weapons God chose for the Israelites to use. Just another way to ensure who gets the credit for this victory. Not them, but God. All right, verse 19 through 22. Gideon and the hundred men with him, and the hundred men with him, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. With the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. 300 men spread out, completely surrounding the camp. Well, as much as 300 men can surround this huge camp. At Gideon's command, they blew their 300 trumpets, they broke their 300 jars, 
and instantly revealed 300 torches and 300 men at the same time shouted, a sword for the Lord and forget him. All that happened within just a few seconds, all at once. So let's try to imagine if we're in the Midianite camp. Let's try to imagine the effect that's going on with the Midianites. All right, it's at night, so you can't see anything around you. Most of the camp is asleep. It was shift change, and you know what happens at shift change. You're not paying attention, really. You know, you're trying to get, tell your, your guy or gal, all right, now this, this is what I've been doing, and I did this, and I did that. You know, you're not as focused as you would be if you were just on duty. So shift change is a, a vulnerable time. And suddenly, 300 men all around them blow, break, reveal torches, and shout. Boom! Just like that. Now, normally, uh, only the company commanders would have a trumpet and maybe a torch, which means when you got up and you saw 300 trump or heard 300 trumpets and you heard or saw 300 torches, what, sh- what are you going to think? That's not just 300 men. That's 300 companies of men. And in addition, it was dark. You can't You just saw the torches. You didn't see the men. You just saw the torches. And you heard the trumpets. The Midianites were also confused and unprepared. They were awakened from sleep. (laughs) You know know how confusing it can be sometimes when you're abruptly awakened, especially if you're in a strange place. Have you ever been in a hotel, you know, and you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something, and and you you think you're at home? (laughs) And like, where's the bathroom? You know, you run into the wall or something. You know, it takes you a minute to get oriented and say, oh, that's right, I'm in the hotel. You know, that's kind of like the way it was there, this strange place to wake up, ah, there's noise. The conf- and, and then God caused even more confusion among the soldiers, and they turned on each other. God kind of caused that to happen. They turned on each other. Their fellow soldiers were suddenly the enemy attacking them. The 300 Israelites who surrounded the camp just watched the Midianites killed themselves. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Verse 22 through 25. The army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahala near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. You know, a few of the Midianites managed to retreat. Uh, They were trying to get back home, get across the Jordan, back home to safety. The 300 had done their work. Uh, Basically, they reduced the Midianite army to a bunch of terrified men in chaos. And now it was time for the cleanup. Now it was time for the cleanup. Gideon had cleaned up his house of idols. Now it's time to clean out this pagan army. So Gideon calls out the reserves. You know, all those men he sent home. I I don't know if I ever realized that that the ones that were sent home were called back into duty 
I probably had read that before, but I hadn't realized it. Uh, all those he sent home, he called them back up. All right, now it's your turn. Uh, they came in and they took action and they, they wiped it clean. They pursued them. They blocked their way to get back home, prevented reinforcements from coming um, from, the, from the east. They captured two of the leaders, Orib, which means raven, and Zeb, which means wolf. And they beheaded each of them in a special place that has their name on it now. Uh, Raven Rock and Wolf Wine Press. And they presented their heads to their leader, Gideon. There's a little bit more to the story as you go to the next chapter, chapter 8. But ultimately, the battle was won. The Israelites were rescued from the Midianite oppression. And they could now grow their crops and live in peace. At least as long as they remained faithful, and we'll see how long that lasts. We talked about some take-homes all along through this message, but let's, let's just review a couple of things we can take home with us from this story, two of them. First, God has the power to defeat our enemies and win the battle. No matter who the enemy is, God has the power. He really doesn't need us at all to achieve his purpose, does he? Not really. He can and will overcome our enemies. He really only needs one thing from you and me, our faith and trust. That's what he needs. Not our power and our strength and our abilities and our skills. He just, he, he can give us some of those things to help him. But most of all, he needs our faith and our trust that he's with us. Satan and our flesh can be defeated by God's mighty power. But only, only if we put our trust in God's power to do it, not our own. So we must allow the Holy Spirit as Christians to give us the strength to defeat the evil that we face every day. It's the only way. It's the only way. And secondly, at the same time, God is willing to be patient with us as we develop our faith and trust. You know, Gideon didn't become an instant trusting warrior for God, did he? Even though God called him that. He didn't just become that warrior just like that. It took him a while to get there, didn't it? And God was patient with him on that journey. And eventually, because of God's patience, he did become that warrior. And he does the same for you and me in our lives. He understands our temptation to doubt and to struggle in trusting him sometimes. Because we're human. God's not going to give up on you just because you doubt sometimes. Uh, so don't give up on him. He's, he's still hanging in there with you. Step out in faith and, and, and let God work in your life, even if you're in doubt and you're struggling. Step out of your comfort zone, even though you're afraid, and share your faith with somebody. Just see what God can do with that. Decide to trust God and set aside a portion of your income uh, and, and, and just give it to him, even though you're a little scared to do that. Watch him bless you. Put him to the test and see God's power. If you fall down, get up and try again. We all fall down. Get up and try again. God's not going to walk away from you because you fall. No, he's standing there with his hands wide open, ready to help you get up and try again. With God, as long as there is the breath of life, there is a chance to get up. And try again. And like Gideon, eventually, with God's power and strength, we can and will be 
victorious. Father, I thank you so much for Gideon. Thank you for the example of of his struggle with doubt. Uh, Lord, um, we all have those times where we wonder, are you really there, God? Can I trust you? Uh, And even though you are there, um, you're willing to wait for us and, and, and help us along and maybe give us some signs or give us some evidence uh, to help us know that you are there. When we step out in faith and you, and you show your presence, uh, it, it helps us grow. When we read your word and we see the power that's in that, when we, when we share, when we, when we uh, are, are encouraged by another Christian, another follower of you who by their example, we're, we're, we're energized to serve you more. When we experience uh, a loss in our life and we see you bring us through it, uh, Father, uh, you're patient with us as you wait for our faith to grow and get stronger. So thank you for your patience. And Lord, help us to never give up. When we fall down, help us to just get up and try again and not wonder if you're still there because you are. Thank you, Father, for, for working with us and being there and helping us grow stronger. And thank you for the victory in Jesus' name.